We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster. Uh, feels like feels like we got something to talk about today, right? Feels like we got a little bit of a uh, little bit of a little bit of a conversation piece. You know, it's Thursday afternoon. Um, it's been a while since uh, I've been back from Houston. I took a red eye back on Tuesday morning on zero sleep. Spent the entire uh, day I was home on Tuesday trying to uh, figure out how the hell I was going to stay awake to parent my children. Um, and then on Wednesday, I spent the entire day getting caught up on everything that I neglected around my house for, uh, the last, oh, probably the last six weeks in total. Um, so, uh, I'm just now getting a chance to kind of sit down and, and record this podcast and, and, and film this and, uh, I'm still processing like what the hell just happened, right? Like, think about, think about where, where this fan base was. Think about what we were talking about on this podcast way back in the end of January, right? And I remember it specifically because it was the Xavier game. It was after the Xavier game at home. It was after UConn had uh, made that comeback. Um, and uh, it was after they had kind of put themselves in a position where they were, uh, they looked like they were the team. That was close to what they were at the start of the year. I remember I, I remember I said it specifically. I actually titled this podcast on it was January 29th. It was after the Xavier loss, the, the sixth time in eight games. I said, this is the best that I felt about UConn in a month. And from that point on, UConn went 15 and two. From that point on, the only losses that they suffered were a three point loss at Creighton, uh, a game where Jordan Hawkins was literally a toenail away from forcing overtime. Um, and a two-point loss against Marquette in the Big East tournament where uh, they were a couple of missed threes away from getting to the semifinals of that matchup. So uh, it's it was pretty it's pretty remarkable to think about how a team can go from being incredibly dominant for two months to having a month where they look absolutely atrocious to being incredibly dominant for two months to close out the season and make a run all the way to a national title. It just, I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't, well, let me rephrase that because I do understand it because I do think that there were some very specific changes that were made 
that allowed UConn to go on this run. And and we've talked about it plenty, and I don't want to rehash it too much because uh, it would feel like a little bit self-congratulatory. Um, it would feel a little bit too much like a pat on my own back when really all I did was sat here and, and sit here and kind of watch and, um, and just kind of say, like, this is what they're doing and this is why they're doing it. So uh, I want to just kind of talk about this season in the big picture, right? So I think so much of what we focused on, at least what I focused on throughout the year, was the development of Andre Jackson going from Andre Jackson to Andre fucking Jackson, who, by the way, was Andre fucking Jackson throughout the entire tournament. Um, I don't think we talked enough about just how good Tristan Newton was over the course of the final, I don't know, six, eight, ten weeks of the season, something like that. He went from being a guy that a lot of people, including myself, including the coaching staff, you know, they they questioned at the start of the year. There were questions about what this, how good he was when UConn kind of went on that downswing and they lost some of those road games. There were questions about does this guy have the, I don't want to say the ability because I think we knew he had the ability. Does this guy have what it takes to be the point guard that you have to be on a national championship team? And, you know, when he was struggling in mid-January, it did not look like he did. And there were uh, there were criticisms of him, and some of those criticisms were were probably – they were fair to a point, right? And it, it was it was just awesome to see Tristan kind of turn it around and, and put everything together and be the guy – I don't want to say carried UConn to the national title. That's probably a little bit too strong because this was Adama's run, and we're going to get into that in a second. But um, he was the guy that turned into the closer – that UConn needed, right? Like if you go back, th- th- this is the perfect way to, su- to to summarize kind of the way that I feel about it is that down the stretch of the national title game against San Diego State, uh, what UConn did was stopped running their offense. And we've talked on this pod quite a bit about how elaborate their offensive sets are and, and how uh, how unique it is that they have such a deep playbook and they are so effective at running that playbook. They can implement a new set uh, the day before a game and run it perfectly the first time that it gets run. Like they're, they're very, very well drilled and they are very smart and quick at picking that stuff up. Um, but at the end of the game against San Diego State, they weren't doing any of that. They weren't running all of these elaborate sets. They weren't running this crazy offense. They were just kind of giving the rock to Tristan Newton and saying, take us home. This is your show. Take us home. They gave him the, the keys to the car and he you know, there were some there were some turnovers and the ball got picked, his pocket got picked a couple times. And you know, Darren Chamel is five foot ten and a pest and and can be a little bit of a problem. But at the end of the day, Tristan Newton finished with 19 points, finished with 10 boards, he finished with four assists. He had a couple huge clutch buckets, and he was the guy that set up Jordan Hawkins' massive three uh to win that game. And it's just I, I'm so I'm so happy for him that he was able to have that moment and he was able to have that level of success because there were quite a few people that did not believe that that was something that was ever going to be possible. And uh, he proved a lot of people wrong and he turned himself into a Yukon legend in the process. And, you know, he's a, he's a kid from El Paso. Uh, he's a kid that spent a couple years at East Carolina. Um, he is uh, probably not someone that grew up uh, idolizing Yukon from, you know, the, since he was five years old, uh, you would have to ask him just how much this, this, this is a place for him to play as opposed to a place that means everything to him. But I'll tell you this much, uh, I, there are a lot of fans where he's going to mean everything to them moving forward. So uh, it's very cool to see guys kind of go from 
being a player to growing into that legend status. And I do believe that that's kind of where Tristan Newton is right now. So super happy for him. Um, super impressive performance from him. And, and just kind of, I loved, I really loved how he embraced just being able to, you know, there, there's two different ways you can get into the lane, right? There is the cross people over, blow by them because you are so much faster and, you, and no one can stay in front of you. And there's also being able to get someone off balance and having the strength to, once you get your shoulder past them, and once you're able to kind of get them on your hip, to be able to keep them on your hip and get all the way to the basket. And Tristan is very much the latter, uh, and it was a lot of fun to watch him figure out how to be able to uh, utilize that skill set, and it was a lot of fun to watch the coaching staff once they figured out, like, this is what we got to do to be able to make sure that um, that he's doing what we need them to do or he's doing what we need him to do on the offensive end of the floor. So that was awesome. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Adama Sonogo because, you know, I do think when we look back at uh, when we look at back at UConn NCAA tournament runs, right? You got the Kemba Walker NCAA tournament run in 2011, and the Big East tournament run, and everything that he did that season, he was fantastic. And you got the Shabazz Napier run where him and Ryan Boatwright manned a backcourt uh, here at UConn to the 2014 national title in spite of uh, Kevin Ollie's coaching acumen. Uh, and then you have 2004, where it was it was kind of similar to this team, right? Where you had a bunch of really good players, you had a couple good guards, you had some shooters on the perimeter, Rashad Anderson uh, specifically, and you had uh, everything kind of built around six foot nine, uh, six foot nine Houston native Emeka Okafor, and I think that 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 run kind of gets remembered as the. Uh, as the the run where they beat Duke, right? The run where you had that unbelievable um, semifinal matchup with Duke, the eight-point comeback in three minutes, all that. And I think this year's run will be remembered for a lot of things, but I'm going to remember it for the absolute sheer and utter dominance of Adama Sonogo. Like, that dude, that dude is one of the strongest human beings I've ever seen on a basketball court. You cannot move him. If he wants to be somewhere, you are not going to get him off of the place that he wants to be. Uh, if he um, if he decides that he's going to try to get somewhere, you can stand in between them, but you're gonna, not going to stop him from getting to the place that he wants to get to. And to me, the incredible part about it is he's very good at doing that without picking up a bunch of offensive fouls, without lowering his shoulder and battering through people. You know, he's just he's strong, he's tough, and he's got a delightful, graceful little touch as well. It's just, it's a very odd combination of abilities to have, but he's got both of them. And, um, and it was very fun to watch him kind of grow into being this absolute superstar at the five. Cause that's something throughout the year. How much have we talked about, not just on this pod, not just on the field of 68 everywhere. How much have we talked about the fact that it's very difficult to be able to uh, win a national title when you have, an offense that's built around a five man when everything runs through the post, how, how much have we talked about how difficult it is to be a big guy in college basketball and be able to win being a big guy in college basketball because of the issues that come with switching and guarding and, and things of that nature. And it was, uh, yeah, it was nice to see Adama Sonogo prove everybody wrong. And, and, you know, I think a lot of it actually has to do with the fact that this was the most well-balanced team. And, and you know what, let's, let's talk about, because let's talk about that because I think what this staff did was, uh, was they put together the absolutely perfect college basketball team. You know, um, there may be 
situations where you could upgrade specific pieces. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that Tristan Newton is the best point guard in college basketball. He's a national, he's a national champion. He's a national title point guard. Uh, but there are players individually that are probably better than him. But I think the concept of the way that, uh, and, and I'm not, that doesn't mean to just call him out. Like there are, there are four men that are better than Alex Caravan. There are uh, backup players off the bench that are better than him and Joey Calcaterra. There are, uh, two guards that are probably better than Jordan. Like that's not to to. I'm not just. I'm not just uh, singling out Tristan Newton, um, but I think that in totality, that th- this is exactly what you want when you build a college basketball team. You have two creators, right? You have Tristan Newton and you have Andre Jackson, who could both handle playmaking duties. Um, you have three shooters on the floor at all times, whether it's Jordan Hawkins or Joey Calcaterra and Naheem Aline or Tristan Newton, or uh, or Alex Caravan, or whoever. You have three guys that can make threes, potentially four, depending on how you view um, Adama Sanogo, right? You have length, athleticism, and versatility everywhere on your roster and everywhere on your lineup. They're starting five with six foot five Tristan Newton, uh, six foot four Jordan Hawkins, six foot six Andre Jackson, six foot eight Alex Caravan, and six foot nine Adama Sanogo. If they wanted to, they could switch one through four. If they wanted to, they could probably get away with switching one through five. Um, and that doesn't uh, that that doesn't even include the seven foot two monster that you got coming off the bench. Um, they can play big if they need to, right? Because what they can do is they can put Andre Jackson kind of at the point guard spot with Naheem Aline and and maybe even uh and, and and you know, probably Tristan Newton out there with Alex Caravan and not Donovan Klingon. Like you can play small where Naheem Aline and uh Andre Jackson can be your, your forwards. There's just they made themselves completely matchup proof by throwing out by, by gathering a bunch of shooters, a bunch of length, a bunch of athleticism, a bunch of guys that are tough enough to guard their yard. Uh, and they did it all with the best combination of big men that I've seen on the team since probably Jim Calhoun was playing. Right, like you want to get a low post big that takes the pressure off of you, you could throw it into on the block. You got a Sanogo down there. You want to play drop coverage with a seven foot two uh, eraser that is going to end up being a lottery pick at some point. Then you put Donovan Klingon out there. It's just it was it was super sharp, incredible uh, identification of guys. Right, an incredible job of kind of figuring out exactly who the right players in the portal were to go get like and i don't think that's something that can be overstated right look at the transfers that they brought in tristan newton hit naheem Aline, it hit joey calcaterra he was originally supposed to be a guy that just came in to play a bench we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. Uh, I'm sorry to play play a bench role and, and and be a practice player. That was a hit, no question about it. Um, the two freshmen that came in, Alex Caravan and Donovan Klingon, they were hits. They were guys that uh, found a way to make it work. The only like, I don't even want to call him a miss because I don't think that's probably a little bit unfair to just how good he's been. But Asan Diar was a guy that came in and was very good at just kind of playing his role as a disruptor off the bench and accepting that like, okay, I might be a guy that only sees 10 minutes a game and not being someone that that uh, can kind of complain about it. Um, and then from there, like, look at the freshmen and the recruits that they brought in. Uh, Jordan Hawkins, hit. Alex Caravan, hit. Donovan Klingon, hit. Um, you even go back a year earlier. Andre Jackson, hit. Adama Sanogo, hit. Uh, so they've done a very good job of just kind of identifying it. There's a miss, you know, Javante Brown-Ferguson didn't work out the way that you would expect him to work out. Um, Samson Johnson quite hasn't quite uh, figured out just how good he is yet. Rasul Diggins, that was obviously a swing and a miss. I still think that uh, Corey Floyd is going to end up looking like a very sharp recruiting target, even if it is uh, for Providence instead of for UConn. So um, the the talent identification and the 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 ability of this staff to figure out who they want and then go get those players is very, very, very important. Like that doesn't happen a lot. Like there's a, it's not often that you see a coaching staff have that many hits when they're bringing in recruiting classes and when they're bringing in players. So kudos to them, man. Like there's, there's a lot of half of half the battle. Like when people think about recruiting, what they think about is, um, is like getting the big name talents. Like how, who is the best at finding, uh, at being able to get like a top 10 prospect onto campus, right? A five-star player onto campus. And that's that's part of it. You got to be able to get the kids that you identify. But the other part of it is being able to identify who is going to do well for you and who is going to play well for you, right? Who is going to fit what we want to do? Who's going to fit our culture? Who is going to fit our identity as a program? And I don't know. Like I, I, I haven't run the numbers on it, and I haven't studied it all that hard. But I can't imagine there are too many that have been better over the course of the last three years than this UConn coaching staff at identifying the guys that are going to help them and being able to go get those dudes. Like it's incredible, and it makes me feel very good about what uh, next season could end up being with this recruiting class that they have coming in. And you know, I, I will say this too. I, I think that. This is the of all the I've I've seen I've been alive and been a conscious and been a UConn fan for all five of the national titles that they have. I was 14 years old in in 1999. Um, I was a freshman. I'm sorry, I was in eighth grade, and uh, I vividly remember losing my mind um, when when they won that. I vividly remember uh, watching uh, watching that game and hearing Khalid Elamin yell, "We shocked the world." Um, I vividly remember Jim Nance's top dogs call. I vividly remember uh, waiting and hoping that there was not going to be a foul called against uh, Trajan Langdon when, you know, with the travel and all that. So um, I think that this is the one that it, it, it's, it's weird because a lot of those other titles had games that like you can't, you had to, you had to survive, right? There was the St. Joseph's game in the first round of 2014. Um, the national title game was a one point game. There was, uh, in, um, in 2011, right? Like the, the Arizona game, uh, there that, that kind of, um, could have been a loss, right? There was, 
uh, in 2004, there was a comeback against Duke. Um, in 1999, there was a game against Washington. Like there was always something in all of these these years where it kind of uh, gave you that euphoric moment where you could go nuts and you could celebrate a shot. Like there was no iconic. The closest thing we got to an iconic moment um, in this year's tournament run for UConn was the Jordan Hawkins shot with five minutes left against San Diego State. And that turned a five-point game that had been double digits the entire game into an eight-point lead. It wasn't like that was the only time there was even a little bit of game pressure on UConn in the second half throughout this tournament run. So um, it's a little bit different because it very much felt like this was never in doubt, right? Uh, but I do think that this one kind of – it feels different than the other one. I don't even know if it's better. I kind of have to let that process a little bit more. But I, I think I enjoyed this one the most because I, I didn't I didn't truly believe like I, I I I bought into the coaching staff. I bought into Hurley, I bought into Luke Murray, I bought into to Kamani. Like I I thought that um this group had a chance to be able to do this or, or to be able to get UConn to be really good again and really relevant again. But I don't know if I fully believe that they were gonna be able to win it. Like winning a national title is just so damn hard to do. And there was part of me that just kind of assumed that this was maybe never going to happen again. And being able to see them come from a team that, you know, finished at the bottom of the AAC, that that finished below like Tulane, that was playing East Carolina, and that, that went from as bad as things were to, to back to being as good as they are right now. It just, I don't know if I fully, ever fully believed it. So I, I really do... I really do think that this is something that is special. And it's, it's something that um, – and the other part of it is I, I think a lot of it for me just personally is like my son is seven years old now. Like he's conscious of what sports are. He's super into sports. He loves UConn. He goes nuts. Um, he he texts. He, he can't type out text yet. So during games I have to text with either my mom or my wife and just cause he, he wants to go back and forth and he wants to be able to have that conversation and talk. So uh, th- I think that made it special. Uh, just everything about it. Like this was, you know, a pretty unforgettable ride. And, and at least for me, like it, it, when I was, uh when I was laid off two and a half years ago, I didn't think that I would ever be able to do something. I thought that was it. That was the end of my trips to the final four. I thought that was the end of my life being somebody that covers college basketball and to be able to build this whatever this is field of 68 and it's something where i'm now able to get access i'm now able to go on the court and and interview dan hurley after they win the national title i'm now able to get uh back into these locker rooms and talk to these guys and and uh, be able to sit courtside with all this hat like i'm just so incredibly appreciative of of kind of where i'm at and uh i guess the other thing is just like i really do appreciate the openness of the staff you know, Hurley, Luke, Kamani, Tom Moore, uh, Phil Shardis, like just kind of allowing me to be able, like, I can't do this without being able to get them and get access to them. And even if it's just getting a text message responded back to or uh, anything like that, you know, getting in the locker room, being able to do the show from the Providence game, like it just, uh, it's very, I feel very lucky and fortunate to kind of be in this position. And, you know, a lot of that are the guys that pay attention to the show. You know, there was, there were a couple hundred of you that showed up for our, our streams from McIntyre's and like that, that kind of blew my mind that we had that many people there. Like every single one of you that came up to me, is like, Rob, I love top dogs. And I'm like, I just, it's, it's, it's odd that I don't know. Like I, I'm very proud of the work I do here, but it's still just kind of surreal when uh, 
people tell me how much it means to them. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for all of you guys that tune in. I'm thankful for uh, a lot right now. So it's, it's what a moment, what a win, what a title. Number five. <laughs> That's really all I got to say about it, except this. It's time to go get number six, Danny. No one at UConn has ever won back-to-back titles. Pressure's on. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.